When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly podcast. England's tour of South Africa was brought to an abrupt halt earlier this week with none of the scheduled ODIs taking place. India beat Australia 2-1 in an exciting and at times controversial T20i series and it was a Kane-Williams show in New Zealand as the Black Caps continued on their march towards a possible number one test ranking. We'll be talking about all that, England's upcoming tour of Sri Lanka, the start of the BBL, Dr Julian Barton de Corsi-Thompson and much more. I'm Yazrana, and with me today is the managing editor of Wisdom.com, Ben Gardner, the editor-in-chief of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, Phil Walker, and the magazine editor of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, Joe Harmon. Welcome to the show, everyone. We'll kick things off in South Africa, where England's Cricket World Cup Super League series never got off the ground. I'll quickly run through what happened, because quite a lot did happen, but also quite a lot didn't happen in quite a short space of time. Uh, the first ODI in Cape Town was originally scheduled for last Friday. That was postponed at an hour's notice after a South Africa player tested positive for COVID-19. Two days later, the ODI at Paul was postponed, again at short notice, after two members of staff at the hotel the teams were staying at tested positive for COVID-19. Two members of the England touring group then returned unconfirmed positive tests before the remainder of the tour was postponed, with the board saying the decision was made to ensure the mental and physical health and welfare of players from both teams. After the tour was called off, those aforementioned unconfirmed positive tests came back negative. So there's a lot going on there. And to help us out and to talk through the potential consequences of what happened in South Africa is the PA's Roy Dollard, who was in South Africa while all that was playing out. From the UK, the tour looked pretty chaotic, particularly that game that was supposed to happen in Paul, only finding out that it might be called off half an hour before the toss. Um, in South Africa, what, when was the first indication that you got that that game in Paul might not happen? There was four of us here and we had um, a limited window where we were allowed to enter the ground so that we didn't overlap or clash with the teams as they arrived. It's all very regimented. Uh, and, and we arrived in our window. It then got to, you know, an hour before first ball and there was no practice stuff out. There was no uh, buses in the car park. And as you know, usually, you know, an hour before play starts you're right into the thicker things and there's balls flying around everywhere and uh, so as soon as we found out that the teams hadn't yet sort of landed then the uh, the spider senses were tingling and when did you when do you think the tour was it was first in danger or might be in doubt well that's an interesting question you know i mean i think if you look at it from the from the back end of as it is now it, it seems to be that when south africa players were getting tested positive we sort of 
made do and mend and, and found a way through. And when England players tested positive, things seemed to, to reach a new level of alarm. So um, I think that, on, you know, if you were cynical, you would say that was um, sort of England uh, worrying about their own situation. But I suppose what it showed was that both teams were staying in the Vineyard Hotel in Newlands in separate areas. They weren't allowed to overlap with each other. The Any communal areas were deep cleaned. They both had dedicated staff members who didn't interact with the other bubble. And I think when we found out on that morning, on Saturday morning, that uh, two separate hotel members from two separate areas, plus the England team, plus the South Africa team, it just looked like a house of cards. And it seemed... I suppose what we hear from the camp is that anxiety levels were just, you know, they couldn't feel like they couldn't trust the environment they were in, the the rooms they're in, they couldn't trust the pitch they were playing on. It, it suddenly got a lot of people worried. And I think really we spent the best part of 24 hours signing off a statement. I don't think there was any chance of playing after that. Um, it relates to that. Now that the two tests have come back, the two unconfirmed positive tests have come back negative, do you get the sense that Cricket South Africa are disappointed that the series isn't going ahead? And, you know, for all the talk in the English summer of how great West Indies and Pakistan were uh, sacrificing uh, themselves coming over to a country that was in the, the, the eye of the storm in the pandemic, at least when they agreed to go. And here England are leaving a tour when actually none of their players have tested positive in the end. Yeah, I think I think there's quite a lot of sensitivity about, about this whole situation because if you look at the, the sort of global cricket framework it's it's still a really small family and Sri Lanka are due here for the Boxing Day test here in South Africa so South Africa are desperate not to have their sort of reputation sullied in any way because they want to keep staging cricket Australia are due here England's supposed to play Sri Lanka after Sri Lanka plays South Africa and suddenly you find that this whole jigsaw is is dependent on each other and if that's questioned or if that's thrown into any doubt, it's a it's a problem not just for that team, in this instance, South Africa. It's a problem for everyone because we don't know what's next. So I think in the summer, England were very proud of the fact, and, and rightly so, that they had no positive tests while they stood the entire calendar. Uh, but were they lucky? Were they good? Probably both. You know, I mean... Very few places in the world can can say they have fully fitted hotels, fifty yards from the, the middle stone. <laughs> it's very unusual. So that wasn't the situation here. It won't be the situation in Sri Lanka. Um, <laughs> maybe we have to reassess what biosecure, which is a word nobody knew um, ten months ago. We have to reassess what that means and what the expectations are and how we deliver it, and how we live in it. And from an England point of view, is there a feeling that Cricket South Africa might have handled this tour, and the last week in particular, any better than they did? Well, there's a lot of talk about learnings and sharing learnings, which is kind of corporate speak for book your ideas up, I think. <laughs> um, I, I think I've heard the word unorthodox about the, about the bubble, but I mean, you know, I don't know... I don't know how, uh, if there's a book written for how we're supposed to operate biosecure bubbles, that's something, again, that also didn't exist uh, last year. 
uh, I think people have to be really clear now because what's for certain is that we can't be losing uh, cricket like this once once the commitments have been made and the money's been spent and the travel has been uh, booked in and, and and people's lives have been disrupted because that's you know it, it's it is a rough ride this stuff they're not you know nobody's crying too many tears for international cricketers because they have a great life but it's not it's not easy and it's hard for once once that sort of leap of faith has been made you want to know that everything has been done to to sort of repay it and and finally ultimately england in their statement when the series was called off cited players mental health as well as their physical health um, I've seen you tweet about it. At, at, at what point do boards just need to say, we just cannot fit all this cricket in? England have already got a, a, an incredibly packed 2021. You've got a T20 World Cup, Ashes Tour, nine tests against India, Tour to Sri Lanka. I'm missing stuff out there. But like, at what point do you think boards need to come to a, a solution which involves playing less cricket? Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. That, that's, that's, that's the main takeaway that I've come to. And I, as you mentioned earlier, I've... I'm now two successive overseas tours that I've been on that have been cancelled early because I was in Sri Lanka also. And I'm come to the conclusion that some realistic sort of grown-up conversations have to be made. Honestly, I've heard far too much about, uh, about paying, paying back the broadcasters and, and fulfilling TV deals. Well, okay, you know, that's really, really important. It's the lifeblood of the game. But... We've, we've cancelled a World Cup. We've cancelled an Olympics. We've wiped out half a Premier League season. These are, big, these are big commitments and big, expensive sporting events that have been deemed not possible. Bilateral cricket appears to me to be labouring under uh, a self-interested delusion that they can just crack on. And, and if they just bring a couple of more strength and conditioning coaches and five more players, it'll be fine. Well... England brought a big squad to cope with to cope with the idea that they might have a couple of people go down. That was that's why they actually travelled with a twenty three man squad, I think. And then lo and behold, we get a couple of positive tests. Doubt is sowed amongst the, the, the touring team, and we're suddenly not playing cricket. I think you know whether it's the ICC, whether it is uh, an understanding between certain boards. We can't just the, the answer can't always be. Well, let's just play more cricket. It's it's an old it's old hat, and it's got to stop. England this year have agreed to effectively thank Pakistan for coming over to England uh, in the middle of the pandemic by going there, which, as you think you've you've sort of reeled off most of the winter's plans. That's England are due to tour for five different countries in the winter. That's you know that's it's a really good England career if you manage to make all of that. Never mind everything else. They have talked about uh, rearranging this South Africa trip, um, not postponing it, not just, not just finding a way to, to subsidise cricket South Africa, because they have lost important money if these games don't go ahead. But I think uh, an, an understanding needs to be come to that maybe we find a way to, to pay them what they need mm. uh, to keep going. Because, you know, I, I would defy the most creative mathematician uh, logistics expert in the world to show me when England are going to come back here and play three ODIs in, in the next cycle. There isn't room, there isn't space, and I'd be flabbergasted if it happens. I just think there isn't enough realism in cricket about what is and isn't uh, a fair ask. You know, because never mind about 
finding the little windows, the little two and three tier windows that we've got left in, in next year's diary. What are you looking at the cricketers? You know, hopefully we see some fans back when the vaccine takes and, and, and we get a few crowds back in, but they can't watch cricketers who, who never come off this treadmill. The, the pandemic hasn't caused this problem. It's definitely amplified it. And, and I just think it has provided across all sport and across society, it's provided a platform to have a few more sensible conversations and cricket needs to uh, get on board that gravy train and have a few of its own. Joe, what was your biggest takeaway from that quite eventful week? Uh, it was an excellent interview with Rory and it was useful to hear from someone who's actually out there because it has been difficult to keep up over the last few days. There's been um, lots of claims and counterclaims and, and Cricket South Africa clearly aren't happy and you can understand why to an extent because as we discussed before in the podcast, they had a huge, huge amount riding on this series financially. Um, I thought... One thing that was particularly interesting that came out that I hadn't really thought in much detail about was was Rory points out how well equipped England were and the ECB were to to host internationals this summer in the Aegeus Bowl and Emirates Old Trafford. They couldn't have asked for two better venues, almost like kind of purpose built for for this situation. Uh, and other countries, as we've seen in South Africa, don't have that luxury, and it's not hugely surprising that these incidents have happened. Uh, the other point that Rory makes is is a really good one that this is, it might seem like one relatively inconsequential ODI bilateral series, but this is part of a bigger picture. And when pieces start to fall out of place, the whole thing can collapse quite quickly. And England owes some favours around world cricket. But as Rory says, the schedule doesn't really allow them to, to meet those favours. So it, it's, it's a really kind of depressing situation. I, I I don't know if we can blame England. It's very hard to know if they felt that things just weren't under control in that situation, that this this bubble wasn't secure, then you can't really blame them for coming home. That said, other countries have, have done quite a bit to make sure that England's calendar worked over the summer. And, and it, there is an impression that they're not really returning the favour in, in the same way. Ben, I'm going to ask the same question I asked Rory. From an outsider's point of view, you could say England, at the end of the day, they're going home with no one tested positive. Um, there was no concern over whether the tour would go ahead or less concern over whether the tour would go ahead when it was the African players testing positive. When there was a danger, it was England players. That's when the tour came under question. Yeah, I, but I don't know if it's so much that it was just when the England players were testing positive, that was sort of the, like, that changed it dramatically. I think that was more sort of like, a, it was like a gradual sort of worsening of how they felt about it that started kind of from, they arrived, it sounds like, from various reports in the press. And I think that like, I think, I mean, the mental health aspect is probably the key one, I think. Uh, and when you look at the fact that, you know, Tom Banton and Tom Curran have both pulled out of the BBL this week, sort of citing the need to preserve their own mental health. And given that, you know, these are two players that probably have maybe the most to gain from a strong BBL campaign out of anyone, that puts it into really stark sort of relief how how seriously players are taking it, but also how seriously they're, it's being effect- they're being affected, I guess. And I mean, in terms of, you know, it, just I think... I think we probably all, we might have all experienced the kind of impact that being in a situation that isn't as we anticipate it to be in these uncertain times, the effect that that can have. You know, if you're going to say even just going to a friend's house back when that was allowed, and uh, and you think it's going to be sort of one thing like a small get together where you know everyone's going to be able to be so distant that you turn up and there's like you know 15 people there, half of whom you don't know, and everyone's sort of like in too close a space, and that can be quite a sort of anxiety-inducing thing. And this is like that, but amplified by being 
really far away from home by you know the fact that also i mean that there's there's the you know the the danger of getting covid in a way for a sportsman is actually as much as you know you know young people aren't dying from this thing in in, in as great a degree like we've seen things with, with long covid uh that can actually have a pretty dramatic in, impact on a sportsman's career say if you're getting something that's affecting your ability to to, to breathe and your and your heart function like months down the line that's a hugely damaging thing for for an athlete's career as well as just their their physical well-being so i think that like like i can see the why south africa might sort of feel a bit myth but also i think that like actually the mental health of players in general has actually been taken for granted a little bit especially someone like tom banton who is you know was in the bubble for quite a lot of the summer uh then went to the ipl spoke even sort of right at the start of the pandemic about the the near burnout he was having at that winter to then be taken just as a just as a reserve player uh to not play a game just to kind of basically sit in a hotel for three weeks that's like a, a really hard thing to put on him and actually this is kind of almost just the build-up of, of a lot of things that maybe that's kind of just kind of like enough is enough and players now need to sort of just be, almost just have a, a break from a build-up of a huge amount of toil I guess. Well, one thing that Rory mentioned was that Covid has kind of highlighted a problem that already exists in cricket which was there's just too much of it um, as you just said there, Tom Banton talked about pack schedules, etc. before the pandemic. Phil, do you, do you think a point will come soon where boards will just have to acknowledge the fact that we just can't have this much cricket? Possibly, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet anyone's house on it. Uh, cricket is a very fragile ecosystem. Um, and the way that the, the financial models are set means that England, India and Australia have to play as much cricket as possible in order for the thing to exist or for the thing to be sustained. Um, and I have a, I have sympathy for the ICC. The ICC is not uh, rolling in money. Um, and the ICC, um, I think, doesn't get the credit that it deserves for having um, at least half an eye on the broader, more globalising spread of the game. Uh, and in order to try and find some money for those outposts which one day may become more mainstream parts of, of, of world cricket then it's not like they have a bottomless pit that they can just subsidize here and subsidize there and 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 sort that problem out and sort this problem out and and what we've seen it's a really regrettable story this this South African story it was all it was coming it was on the cards it was going to happen at some point one feels um, the virus has taken a lot from a lot of people's lives and it's taken a lot from, from the game. Um, it felt like this was on the horizon. Um, I feel I feel sorry for uh, the players up to a point. Um, I, you can't imagine what it was like to be in there. Just as a smaller side, I, I was on an, on an Ashes tour as a hack um seven or eight years ago now whatever i i was there for a month i had days where i was really struggling and that was that was in the good old days when you could walk out when you could do what you like um and i was around journalists as well and this is just the journalists right this is not the players it's just the journalists who are living the dream living this enviable life that so many people would love to do everyone was struggling at various points this was the 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 disaster tour you know when Jonathan Trott went home after Brisbane and so on um but this notion of of the pressures of it dragging somebody down under that is a very real problem un unquestionably and 
Ben talks with Tom Banton. It's a really good example. There's no benefit to Tom Banton's career to be back home. Tom Banton is a 2020 cricketer. Tom Banton would have been on the TV today playing cricket and hopefully doing well in a tournament he's done well in before. Eight months out from a world T20. Uh, and he's back home. And he's not back home for his career. He's back home for his mental health. And I think that's a very interesting story and quite a telling story, I think. Absolutely. The decision to take him as a reserve batsman, given the the positive noises about player welfare coming out of the England setup, that's highly questionable. I don't know what he was doing out there. There was so little chance of him playing. And surely they must have, this can't have just happened. They must have had conversations with him before this tour. Or perhaps they didn't, but but there was no way he should have been part of that tour if, if this was the frame of mind he was in. And he hasn't only just started saying these things. I saw an interview before South Africa where he was talking about struggling in the bubble and and having burnout. So this is this hasn't come out of nowhere. Uh, so I think I don't want to give ECB too much criticism because it's very difficult. But I think in this instance they got that one wrong. Um, just to go back as well to the what's happened in the last week or so. Um, I have sympathy for the players. I have sympathy for the boards. Uh, I think the ECB wanted them to play and I think conversations were had. And I don't know this for sure, but it's been reported in various on various outlets, especially in South Africa. Uh, and, you know, one can make their own judgments on all of that. But the board's position in, in world cricket is so much more compromised and nuanced and necessarily complex than that of the players. The players are the engine of everything. Of course they are. And they should be protected and respected for the, the, the jobs that they do. But it's the boards that are constantly in a diplomatic scrap with other boards. And the ECB wanted the players to play and the players wouldn't budge. And I can understand why the players wouldn't budge. I could put myself in that dressing room and say, look, we've given so much and we don't trust what's happening around us now. Now's the time to, to make a stand. Cricket is littered, incidentally, with board versus player disputes. And I'm not saying this is a dispute in inverted commas, but there would have been two different, not agendas, because that sounds too, too, too polarising, but the board would have been gently trying to persuade them to play, to see it through. Let's get home. Let's get home in four days. Let's play these games of cricket and get ourselves home. And the players were saying, not unreasonably, I don't, I don't want to catch this thing and then be isolating from my own family for Christmas and so on and so on. And again, it's the ongoing thing in cricket, the, the eternal scrap in cricket between the individual and the human and the, the, the macro requirements of trying to hold this essentially dysfunctional system together. The ICC can't be the balm to cure all ills. It can't be just, well, come on, give us some more money because we've lost three million on, on this particular tour. Uh, it's a very, very delicate and complex and not especially well. Uh, it doesn't fit itself together very effectively. Um, but that's, I don't think that's anybody's fault particularly. Um, and it's just regrettable. It's, it's, it's a regrettable situation. That's what I was going to ask. Like, what can be done then? I think, the, I think the idea that they just stop having as many matches is, is not likely, as, as Phil suggested. I think more what's going to happen and fans are going to have to kind of be accepting of this as well that is we'll just see different versions of England sides Australia sides India sides so almost like A teams uh, playing for internationals and if that's what's got to happen for it to work financially then I think most fans will be accepting of that um, particularly if they're not paying 
for a ticket to go and see the game. That might become more problematic come the summer if you've paid I don't know, 120 quid to see an ODI at the Oval and England are resting half their side. Then that is a different conversation and is a, is a different diff, difficult thing to manage. Um, but I, I think that's probably the only way out of a very difficult situation at the moment. Yeah, I think I think as well. While I mean, it's probably too optimistic to suggest that this is the, the turning point that's going to see sort of less international cricket played, so that it's you know more high quality and so that player welfare is prioritised. I think there probably will need to have to be at some point just like some sort of sit down just with all the balls with all the boards to see like okay, what have we actually lost? What was agreed? What what have you got to now get into a new calendar and pr- probably like a a restructuring of the current calendar, not not one that sees less cricket being played but one that sees the cricket that should have been played put into the calendar in a more manageable way than just finding like the next available you know three-week window which is actually England's only chance to, to rest or whatever in, in 2021 say to fit in this Africa series well there is more cricket on its way England confirmed yesterday uh, their tour dates for their trip to Sri Lanka they'll be flying out on January the 2nd before playing two behind closed door tests in Gaul and just on that very 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 briefly sorry yes this problem will probably come around again as Rory expertly put, pointed out, almost by accident, our infrastructure means that we were able to have a biosecure bubble times 10. But the same problems that we've experienced in South Africa run the risk of, re- of emerging again in, in Sri Lanka. And, and I wonder if there will be a few conversations that I had over the next few weeks behind closed doors about allowing for a tiny amount of leeway. So this is, this is Living with it up to a point. I saw a few people suggest that the expectations in cricket at the moment, a little bit too high on biosecurity. Like football, for example, has pretty much ploughed on through quite a few positive COVID cases. I think there's only been one Premier League match that's been cancelled and that was when like 10 players from one team had COVID-19. So do we just need to have different expectations? Well, possibly. Um, we, we, run the risk of, we, we, we run the risk of moving into a kind of a political discussion about, you know about the virus and how one responds to it on an individual level. And I don't really think this is the right forum to go down that <laughs> I, road. I'll, I'll second that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, look, we just all cross our fingers that, that Sri Lanka can go ahead and go ahead. Uh, I mean, already this is a replacement tour, isn't it? I mean, you know, can you replace a replacement? Um, anyway, we shall see. And just from a, from a practical level as well, I mean, with football teams, they have big squads kind of by design and they are normally all in the same country whereas if you're on tour in Sri Lanka and you know three of your opening batsmen get COVID-19 and that does heavily compromise the competitiveness whereas you know if your right back gets it then you, you bring in your James Milner or whoever and then you're, you're fine sort of thing so you haven't not looked everyone has Pal- James Milner mate <laughs> I was going to say you haven't looked at Crystal Palace's bench recently <laughs> well, anyway, not a football podcast England will announce their squad at midday tomorrow that's Friday uh, so we're not going to talk about the squad too much. We'll talk about it more next week. But Ben, just what what should we be looking out for in that announcement? Uh, well, I guess maybe quite a lot, but also considering that, I mean, and this is the other difficulty of what we were just talking about, that squads do have to just be bigger now because, you know, you're playing tour games against yourself. You do need to cover for all bases because it's not as easy to just fly someone in at a moment's notice. So we might actually learn a huge amount about England's test plans for next time it's possible they might rest a couple of key players rested is that right not confirmed yet but okay it's been reported yeah and, and similarly i mean seem odd if james anderson went out there considering he said he felt like a spare part last time uh i guess i guess one thing that was reported by uh well it was an interview with the evening standard with roy burns uh that he might have to miss action for the birth of his first child which will give england 
possibly a headache or possibly even you could see it as a positive if that's the way that Johnny Bairstow comes in without anyone's nose being put out of joint. Uh, if Zach Crawley gets moved up to open and he goes to number three, that would be a pretty reasonable solution uh, to me. Uh, and then I guess, I mean, Adil Rashid doesn't seem like that's going to happen. Moan Ali, but you don't think he's going to be breaking back into a starting eleven anytime soon. I think he'll make the squad, though. My yeah. instinct is he'll make the squad. Yeah. I mean, let's not speculate because, <laughs> you know, it's going to be announced in 24 hours anyway. Uh, but 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 yeah, I, th- I think we can probably expect quite a, a big squad. So most of your players will be in there. So maybe we actually might learn a huge amount from this, I guess. And Matt Parkinson, I suppose, I think he might get the nod. He obviously got the nod this time last year and did well in the warm-up game. Took four for, I think, probably bowled his best in an England shirt. Uh, and if it's anything like the model from three, two years ago, they played three spinners, as we know. They had the, the magic bowler in Rashid as the third wild card option and Parkinson could potentially come into the into the mix as that bowler I spoke to Root about this last week for the interview for the magazine which I mentioned last week and and um, he's keeping his options open but he's anticipating that the pitches will be similar again volatile pitches he described them as and and that would therefore need need a a, you know an, an interesting and varied uh, seem, um, spin attack. Well, that's the interesting thing. How, how many they might pick is quite interesting because, as I said, they played three last time uh, and with COVID concerns and people going down ill potentially. I mean, how many spinners? There might be some spinners who uh, don't feel particularly close to the England side going on an England tour for this Sri Lanka tour. So, so they could, they probably won't, but they could pick four, couldn't they? They could pick, obviously, Best and Leach and then Moeen and then potentially Matt Parkinson. I think they could take more for, for, for exactly take that reason. <laughs> Embers, he's still kicking around. <laughs> well, they included Amar Verdi in the massive training group last year, and I, I thought that was. Well, if, they, if they're thinking of picking winter. three, they should probably take five. Seems yeah, no, exactly. Logical, but anyway, I mean, I'm probably being proven wrong as I say this. So <laughs> we could even see something of a return to to total cricket, even which was you know had had its moment in Sri Lanka last time. I mean, if 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 England are picking a seamer, but mostly just so they can bowl a little bit, and that's Sam Curran, so you have possibly have him at seven Bessie's almost an all-rounder at nine maybe if they're picking Moeen at eight this could be a this could be a really exciting time for England's all-rounders as well <laughs> yeah <Yes>. we'll see <laughs> <laughs> um before we go on to the Australia India series a few Christmas gift suggestions for our listeners all of which were produced by the Wisdom family and all can be bought from wisdom.com forward slash shop the Wisdom family sounds like a bit sinister doesn't it like the Manson family. <laughs> We're just sitting in this cult in the corner of the Oval. I guess it depends on like your experiences or family. I guess so, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah let's not go down that road. Uh, well, you've got the Wisden L gift pack that comes with collectible beer mats with a different Wisden Cricketer of the Year on each one. A Wisden Cricket Monthly annual subscription. Wisden t-shirts that commemorate England's 2019 World Cup win. And the excellent new book, Golden Summers, that we talked about on last week's show. It's a hardback collection of personal reflections from cricket's glorious past with contributions from 50 cricketers and writers, including Mark Wood, Shield Berry, Heather Knight, Henry Blofeld, Joe Harmon, Tom Phil, Holland, Phil Tim Walker. Key, Eleanor Aldroyd, Dan Norcross, Ted Dexter, Tanya Aldred, Emma John, Felix White, and of course, Joe Harmon and Phil Walker. Um, so That's yeah. a hell of a squad for Sri Lanka. <laughs> <laughs> Dexter would still get your runs, honestly. <laughs> Uh, no, those are our 11s for the Sydney test match um, all, all of all of that can be bought at wisdom.com forward slash shop anyway moving on to the series between India and Australia which some cricket in, that did happen it did actually happen uh, <laughs> half an hour into the podcast we're talking about some cricket um, India won that series 2-1 it was a very interesting series couple of exciting performance from a few newbies 
Natarajan, the left arm quick who made a name for himself in the IPL, was probably the bowler of the series. Um, and Mitchell Swepson, who we talked about a few weeks ago, uh, the leggy who's apparently not that far from the test squad uh, and test 11 did quite well as well. But Phil, what's your moment of the week? Um, well, yeah, I'm going to go with Hardik Pandya, uh, who's proven that he can bat whether he bowls or not and, and occupy a place in India's top six, certainly in one day cricket and obviously T20 cricket. Um, slight brackets. James Vince has just strummed 67 in about seven minutes in his first game for Sydney Sixers as the BBL kicks off today. Uh, and I was thinking coming in this morning, it's got to be Pandya unless Vince does a Vince and Vince has done a Vince. So he's he's in brackets. Um, Pandya, uh, player of the series, um, two 90s in the ODIs and then a brilliant chase, which is my actual moment of the week. In the second game to see them home, they were probably 40% chance I would say for most of the chase certainly the, the latter part of the chase but he and uh, Shreyas Iyer um, did the business Iyer hit one of the biggest sixes I think I've ever seen about 115 metres or something off a spinner as well uh, but it was Pandya who clearly uh, was in control of the situation and carries with him the the ego charisma self-belief uh, reflection of modern India that Kohli does and he's Kohli's kind of man you can see it uh you know he celebrated at the end he just took his helmet off and just held it up to the skies you know uh he is he is becoming a real symbol of this this new Indian side uh and he fancies it uh, it doesn't surprise me massively uh he made an 80 odd here at the Oval in the final of the Champions Trophy that kind of got lost because Pakistan won it but the quality of the hitting and he has these long arms, big levers, and there's a real sort of snap through the balls. He hits, he hits it a long, long way. But he looks technically pretty sound as well. And I know that Cody's picked him in test teams as well. Um, he's not been bowling much. You might be able to tell me why. No? Just it, just injury it, concerns. Yeah, yeah okay. So he bowled a little bit, didn't he, in um, the ODI series? Yeah. One match, I think. Yeah. 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 But that was sort of a, a weird. No one could really explain it. Uh, right. but, and Cody said that he's not going to uh, be considered test selection unless he can bowl. Yeah, well, that probably makes sense, you know, that they will have half a dozen more test-ready batsmen than him. But he, he he's going to influence a lot of games of cricket for India. I wouldn't be surprised if he can slip in there as a number seven in their test team at, at some point, or even a number six as a fifth bowler. They don't tend to have seen bowling all round as historically India, but but he could do that job. He's taken wickets in, in, in England as a seamer as well. He'll certainly be part of the mix for next summer. <laughs> Excuse me. It's more about what he symbolises for me. You know, he encapsulates the new India and the new India India cricket. Um, he's a very powerful player. And on his power hitting, there's not... I, I, I'm, I'm, doesn't have any muscles. Doesn't have any muscles. And I, I met him at um, one of the kind of pre-World Cup uh, media gatherings. And I was surprised. He's a, he's a really slight bloke. He's not especially tall. He's got nothing... It's not like kind of... Think of people who hit it as far as him, like Pollard, Andre Russell... It's completely different build to them. And, and maybe he will, a lot of these players kind of just get much bigger after a lot of gym work. But uh, it, it's obviously all timing. Yeah. Yeah. All he's timing. A, he's an absolute natural. It, and he's strong through the offside as well. He's not just a, like a leg side Lenny, you know, just kind of wax it over mid on um, cow. I mean, he's, he's technically pretty sound. And for me, he's, he's actually, I mean, in a way, you think it's a lazy comparison. Him and Stoke, you know, both seem bowling around as he can hit the ball a long way. But actually, he's also got that, just that sort of like, that innate sort of ability to just do the freakish things that a lot of players like well that not many players have essentially like the one that I go back to like obviously that 
that Oval Champs Trophy innings was a freak, but that was a test innings in South Africa uh, at the start of 2018, I think, possibly the back end of 2017, where it was, if you remember that tour, it was like absolute minefields where pace bowling dominates and he just hit like a like a, a rapid 95 when not no one else could really get a run. And that that's the kind of thing I think that he brings you. There will, there will be other batsmen who will definitely score more runs, more consistent runs. But actually when it comes to sort of clutch moments, huge games, I think he is a player that India are going to want in that test side if they want to be truly dominant I think because he will he, he will win you games from nowhere I think he's, he's not played a test match since that England England tour and Phil you said that India have a lot of other test ready batsmen but they do have Kohli's not going to play the last three tests of that series Rohit Sharma's not played the first two uh, Shaw and Gill both got pair both got ducks in the um, Australia A versus India game so they don't actually have a huge number of options at the moment and so you can almost see him squeezing in at number six yeah he's in such good form you'd almost be tempted to do so I think Rowett becomes a natural middle order option but I know he's he's had this ongoing is he injured is he not situation it's really weird it's been slightly bizarre hard to follow really I, I think it was Tendulkar who was saying look if he's halfway fit he has to be in the test side out there especially when Cody comes home um yeah, Pandya would would potentially be an option in there, I suppose. It's interesting, I guess, that Kohli said they're not going to consider picking him until. Um, I'd, he's got a good tattoo as well. I just wanted to mention the tattoo, the, the peace tattoo on his on his neck. Um, I like it. Whether it is a nod to the campaign for nuclear disarmament um, set up by by the British Council in 1958 or not, I, or I don't know. It might just I'm be a go more general no. peace symbol. I think if Pandya's listening to this podcast, he'll really object to your description of him. Because he, de- he does talk about going to the gym quite a lot and playing. Just not showing. Yeah. Maybe he's just doing the jogging. Yeah. Not, 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 not doing <laughs> and this, any of weights. This is, is Harmon, who's, who's been on a pretty strict fitness regimen. Oh, it's collapsed rather with lockdown. Yeah. It concussed, concussed me at football last week. Did you hear about this? No, we're talking yeah. about concussions later, actually. All right. L- Smash L- me on the back of the head. If you are listening, oh, it's, 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 it's low weight, high reps. That's the key. <laughs> yeah, sure. All right. Speaking of the expert. Anyway, Ben, what's your moment of the week? So my moment is also from from that series, from the the first T20i, when uh, there was a, a sort of an, an odd incident involving Jadeja and uh, and the concussion protocol. So I'll try and sort of run through the details. So it was in the in the final over, he got a sort of a, a rather innocuous blow to the head, really, and it was so innocuous actually that there he wasn't checked by the physios on the field at the time. He uh, he kind of carried on batting, and then it was only. Uh, after that that he was he sort of returned to the rest of him said he was feeling groggy and that's when India applied for a concussion substitute what slightly muddied the waters in terms of how it looked was that he didn't really walk off the field he limped off the field because he kind of injured his hamstring uh just a, a few balls before so there was and also what further muddied was that, was that the like for like replacement was Yusventra Chahal who is obviously not the batsman Jadeja is and is a, a, a superior bowler who then ended up being the player of the match taking two wickets now I don't think there's any serious suggestion that uh India acted at all uh uh we're, we're at all in the wrong with what with what they did um I mean you can't be questioning medical advice on these things Jadeja now looks like he might miss even the first test with this concussion but I think the the, the issue is is that there, there's room to speculate that's left in these protocols so the initial judgment is done not by an independent uh, medical officer but by a team medical officer and if so you might worry that there could be, you know, room, especially when a player is, has another injury that you say, okay, well, can you just say he's also maybe got a concussion so we can bring in a sub? Uh, and then also just in terms of the like-for-like replacement, 
Juventus Child probably was the closest to Jadeja in that squad, but uh, teams should have to really, I think, uh, nominate who their like flight replacements are going to be in advance of a match or a series rather than doing it in the middle of a match because ha- within the disciplines then so saying he's he is my spin replacement he is my batting or, replacement or, or even for each or for player every, I guess. every player who would have to come in for okay, that player yeah, okay yeah, because I mean I mean say so you'd have you'd have three three potential players on the bench or two or three potential players and they would be nominated for each position yeah something like that because a like for like still doesn't really work I mean how many players do have a I mean a like for like is, well that's the thing you're not, you're not pretty broad terming cricket anyway isn't it yes and I mean you know if you have called it you're not going to get another left arm wrist spinner coming in no, I mean, Australia got a bit lucky in that the, the best batsman in the world got injured and they managed to find the second best batsman <laughs> yeah. in the world to replace him and also someone <laughs> who, who looks looked, weirdly like him as well and yeah. is trying to mimic his every, every truly move obsessed with him. <laughs> yeah but, but, but then I, I guess the, the the question you might ask is if India had bowled first and Jadeja had, you know, got a, a blow on the head fielding at short leg, I don't think they would have nominated Chahal as their like-for-like replacement then because they were then going to be about to, to bat, say. So I, I think that's that's another just slight area that could be sort of cleaned up. And, I, you know, these concussion protocols are still quite a new thing, haven't been implemented that many times and there's room for improvement. But I think this just highlighted a few yeah. little grey areas that could be improved. Really well explained because I wasn't watching it and I did, couldn't quite summon the energy to really read around it. I just saw Langer just kicking off on the on the sideline again. Him, him and Boone, Booney, yeah. With Boone, which I thought was quite amusing. Yeah. Um, but I, th- I think you're right. It, clearly it ne- does need to be formalised. There's a few grey areas here. But it is slightly dispiriting, isn't it? That kind of the second or third time it's happened in cricket and already people are crying foul. It's been brought in to safeguard the players. It's a positive and progressive move. Uh, the reason why it may have been held off is, is that sense of the possibility of a bit of skullduggery. And it seems like five minutes after the, the rule is brought in, straight away, people are crying foul. You know, and coaches are saying, well, hold on, this isn't on. You know, that was just a bit dispiriting, I found, to see that. Yeah, especially when people are hesitant to use it in the first place and aren't that proactive on concussion. You don't want people... Uh, looking at concussion substitutes Cynically. suspiciously yeah yeah um there's I, probably a side point as well that if if Jadeja hadn't got concussion had had a hamstring injury this game would have been a much worse game for it and you know what, whatever happened it was a better game for the fact that Chahal was substituted in and maybe we're not too far from cricket looking at just injury substitutes as sort of a a general thing part, partly to protect players but partly also just to ensure that you know if a like like we, we saw with the the edge baston test last year with James Anderson sort of pulling a side strain four overs in that then kind of drastically affects the game later on it that would be a better game if England could have something this isn't me being a <laughs> you know a bitter Englishman but no but the same with Zahe Khan years ago and then you end up with Dhoni bowling on was it day one of a test match when Dhoni was bowling I mean these things that actually ruins it as a spectacle I mean in an ODI T20 that aspect's kind of neither here nor there as, as well not in the same sense but um no, I think that, that does make sense. Um, Mark Taylor raised the comparison with um, runners as well. So they basically had to get rid of runners because people were abusing the rule. Now, you, they can't get rid of concussion rules because obviously it's so much more important than the reason for why you'd require a runner. They just have to get it right. Um, I think Ben's nailed it. I spoke to journalist Sam Peters, who's done a lot of work around concussion and is a patron of the Jeff Astle Foundation, an organisation that looks to raise awareness of brain injury across all sports. Um, he knows much more than we do. Uh, so here's that chat. Um, do, do you think that the, the ICC's concussion protocols have a hole in it, that it leaves players vulnerable um, once they're hit, some players are left on the field and they might have concussion symptoms, uh, undiagnosed, and they're exposed to 
90 mile per hour bowlers straight afterwards. Is that is that a potential hole in the protocols? Yeah, I mean, what I would say is I looked at the ICC um, protocols in in a bit of detail last night, and you know, I, I was pretty surprised to see a few things in there. One that they still argue that um, concussion is only a uh, essentially a sort of passing injury, which which somehow magically reboots itself, which I think is an argument which has been um, medically kind of put to bed a long, long time ago by by people who really understand um, brain injury and, and concussion. So that's that's kind of front and centre of the ICC's concussion protocol, which I was very surprised about. Secondly, I was also surprised and just disappointed, really, at how dense they are. I think you've got 14 pages there. And it reads more like a kind of legal document than a, a really easily accessible um, set of guidelines for, for medical staff and potentially coaches and teachers and parents to follow when they're, when they're um, looking at head injuries in, in cricket. And um, it's also the ICC pretty keen to point out it's a very rare injury in cricket. But I think what's being quite evident in the last few years and, you know, um, it's been some some tragic incidents. Obviously, the Phil Hughes case being the, the most uh, high profile. But the people in cricket are realising, well, actually, this is an issue for us as well, and um, and we've got to sort of catch up and and, and work out some clear guidelines. And I'd say just the Jadeja incident, as rightly been pointed out, was you know comparable to Steve Smith and where those sort of scenarios exist, where players are allowed to play on and carry on batting. Um, against what is, let's be frank, a very, very perilous and dangerous situation of facing a 90-mile-an-hour bowler. Um, they should be protected and looked after. And obviously, at the moment, that's not happening in every case. Obviously, it's quite far away from what the current guidelines are. But do you think that cricket should consider, um, basically, if, if someone gets hit on the helmet by a 90-mile-per-hour bowler or somewhere around that speed, that they, cricket should consider that the, that player then just comes off the field there and then um, as a matter of course, rather than at the moment, it's up to the umpire to to, to call yeah. medical support. Do you think that's that? Do you think that's right? Yeah, I mean, I think if it's anything more than a sort of you know a, a real light glancing blow, if there's a significant impact, again, that would need to be defined. But yeah, I think there's no reason why you know you've seen in in rugby and other sports where certainly looking at at 10 minute substitutions where you can just give an assessment out of the spotlight. So the game is, can carry on um, without being majorly disrupted. Um, you know, you can have someone come out to bat, you, you know, you're able to have a runner when you've pulled your hamstring. So why on earth shouldn't you be able to just take some time out if you've got a potential brain injury and, um, and just be assessed, make sure you're okay, make sure there isn't any evidence of, of concussion and, and then you know if everything's okay and all being well it is you can go back out to bat but if there's any ever element of doubt then you know you stand down and get the proper me medical assessment that would just seem seem completely sensible to me mm. um, and, the, and the other concussion story this week was Australia's Will Pekoski picking up his ninth concussion at the age of 22 um, mm. how could you, could you say some light on, on terms of like, are, are certain individuals more likely once they've had one or two concussions to have more? Um, is this just a, a freak situation? Um, and, and also how careful do we need to be with Wolf Pekoski in terms of allowing him time before he then plays again? Yeah, well, I think, you know, again, 
not being a, a medical expert myself, but then, it, you know, to actually understand the genetic disposition towards concussion is, is one for the, for the, for the medical experts, definitely. But certainly the evidence I've seen through covering sport um, and covering this issue in sport for around the last eight, eight years um, has been that once someone has succumbed to an initial concussion, then it would seem that the subsequent concussions can come more frequently. And certainly in Will's case, as you just mentioned, you know, nine concussions diagnosed by the age of 22 is, is concerning, definitely. Um, I'm sure there'll be people around him who are looking to do the right thing by him. And, you know, what's also been clear is if people do get proper stand down periods and proper time for rest, um, then, you know, a lot of times people can resume their careers properly. But, you know, uh, I think what's becoming evident now with the cases, um, certainly in, in rugby, where you're seeing cases of guys in their 40s with dementia, and I'm not saying that's going to happen in cricket, by the way, but, um, clearly erring on the side of caution. I think history will um, judge the sports that do that and, and judge the sports that don't. And, and you know, I, I think much rather be slightly overcautious than slightly um, gung-ho about it uh, in order to prevent problems a bit further down the track. And finally, where do, where do you think cricket is at compared to other major sports in terms of its approach and attitude towards concussion overall? Well, I think like every sport, it was slow to, to, to pick up. I think it's been something that all sports have essentially tried to to bury under the carpet, um, pretend wasn't an issue for a long time. I mean, again, I mentioned the Phil Hughes case earlier on. That was the one, you know, desperately sad situation, but but put it to the front and centre of everyone's um, consciousness that the that, that, that concussion was a, and, and brain injuries happen in cricket and they need to be taken as seriously as any other sport. And indeed, you know, one of the beauty, there's nothing better as a cricket fan myself, you know, watching Malcolm Marshall or, you know, Kirtley Ambrose or Waka Eunice down the years when I was a youngster, watching those guys bowl was the biggest, most exhilarating thing and most the thing that drew me to the sport. Um, and that, but it also comes at a huge risk and it's the bravery of the batsman that is required to face that sort of bowling and it's bravery is required because it's dangerous um, and it's only a sport. So I think it's where you draw that line, the risk threshold essentially. Um, but taking as we do that fast bowling will always exist, short pitch bowling to intimidate batsmen will always exist and be part of the game. You know, the flip side of that has to be that if, head injuries do occur um, and batsmen do get hit, that they get properly looked after and that goes across the sport. So I'd say it's got some work to do as pretty much every single sport does, especially in the UK, by the way, and we're light years behind America and Canada and how we're handling this. Um, it's got a long way to go. It's come quite a long way and it should be commended for that, but uh, still some, some steps to take to, to make sure the incidents that we've discussed at the start of this call kind of don't happen in future. On the topic of concussion, this week, Will Pekoski, the 22-year-old Australian opening batsman who is expected to open in the first test of that series at Adelaide, um, has suffered from another concussion, the ninth of his career so far. So he's a severe injury doubt for that first test match. David Warner has already has also been ruled out of that first test match. And Joe Burns, the 
the other incumbent opener for Australia is having a, a, a truly dreadful start to the Australian summer. Uh, so, Ben, who's going to open the matting for Australia? Yeah, well, J- Joe Burns average 8.71 at the moment, which is not very good. And especially, at, like, it's been a, a run-filled Sheffield Shield season, so that really stands out. Uh, if I ha- So there's, there's there's loads of options. You can get really funky if you want to. And I, I, I managed to pick out 11 options for a piece on Wisdom.com. Oh, gosh. Two names. Well, so, so the, 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 the two most likely, I would suggest, if, if Australia are going to drop Joe Burns, which I think would be the, the fair thing to do for, for him as well, really, would be Marcus Harris, who has obviously played test cricket reasonably recently on the uh, the tour of uh, England and is in very good form this season. He got a double hundred in one of the games when Wilbur got a double hundred. And uh, and Sean Marsh, who's obviously <laughs> 37, the Mark Grant crash of Australian cricket, but has got 300s in the Sheffield Shield this season. And, you know, if, if, if you're going to bring someone in for a game or two and then leave them out again, it seems more fair to do it to him than to someone else. Other slightly more funky options would be promoting Marnus Labuschagne to open as he did in the ODIs. Obviously, we've seen he can handle the new ball. That allows Australia to bring in Cameron Green, who I'm sure we talk about more about at number six. Or, or about even, Kawaja. Yeah, Kawaja's another option. He's, he's not in quite as good form, but he's, he's in decent enough form and is obviously... And he's got a good record in Australia. Yeah, he's, he's a, yeah. so, so that, that's, he's, he's one of the options. He'd be my pick yeah. if I was... Um, and then if you want to get to, if you want to pick a Warner like for like, then they could even promote Matthew Wade to opening the batting. Who's uh, who did it? Obviously does it in the in the white ball stuff now. <laughs> I think you're getting too funky here, Ben. He's not mm. even got to his funkiest uh, yet. Oh, the, Have the, you the, not? The, the funkiest <laughs> was uh, the, 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 the Mitchell one Stark, Fincher, uh, Glenn Maxwell. Is, uh, <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> probably worse. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, but I, if I had to put money in it, I'd probably go Harris and Marsh with yeah Kawaja, a decent bet, and Australia might just stick with Burns because they're you know. They've kind of put a weird amount of stock in him. Australia said, Warner says that he absolutely loves batting with Burns. They put a lot there. He's the incumbent that they had a, a brilliant opening partnership last season, which is questionable when you look at, compare it to other opening partnerships. But yeah. It's it's, it's further complicated by the, by the fact that Cameron Green is in amazing form. He scored an unbeaten 100 against India in the warm-up game this week. Um, and with all the problems at the top, it actually might be quite difficult to fit him in unless you move one of those middle-order guys to the top. Yeah, I think so. But it's I think it's kind of Maybe that does mean that it's more likely that Labuschagne will play because the the clamour is just growing to like almost unavoidable levels, I think. And uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's bang in form and, and we've seen the dangers of picking players too early, but we've also seen the dangers of picking players too late. So I think that Australia will be desperate to get him in, especially now that he's sort of bowling again, even if only in short bursts. Mm. So that might well be the solution. That it's, that it's sort of everyone moves up one uh, with Labuschagne opening and then, you know, one of your stalwarts goes in alongside him and then green it. Six and unfortunately, even when Australia are missing, you know, their, their second best batsman on Australia, their, their young absolute gun, you still look at the line and think, geez, it's going to be quite, quite hard work for India to work their way through that. But yeah, the BBL with all its new rules starts today, as Phil mentioned. James Vince hit 67. We'll talk about what we think of those new rules on next week's show. Um, but I'll quickly wait. run through. Haven't already done the- that. Yeah, but we don't know how, how what the impact of those. Oh, are I going see. To be, how it right, changes right. the game. Right. Um, I did see an umpire signal the power surge today and look utterly sort of dead inside while doing it. Just Can you? How do you do it? Oh, no, it's not great. So, podcast. so, so you, 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 I think you do your, your left arm around first, and then your right arm around. He did his left right arm twice and his left arm once, but I think that might have been improvisation. <laughs> but yeah, so kind of like a butterfly stroke while swimming, I guess. But but one arm at a time. Okay. Uh, okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, there's a lot of English interest in this tournament. I'll quickly run through 
uh, all the England players involved at the moment. You've got Phil Salt, Danny Briggs, Dan Lawrence, Lewis Gregory, Liam Livingston, Chris Jordan, James Vince, Benny Howell, Jake Ball, Sam Billings, Alex Hales, Joe Clark and Jason Roy. That's, that's my England eleven for the last <laughs> Um I spoke to Ben Duckett yesterday. I'm surprised he doesn't get a gig in any of these T20 leagues. I, I think he has played for the Hobart Hurricanes a couple of times, maybe last year, the year mm. before. Um, but he's, what, won three T20 competitions over here, took knots to the trophy last summer, just gone. Yeah. Really the, good really good summer in the blast, I think, didn't he? Like yeah. The 350s, maybe. Yeah. Um, moving on to New Zealand. Uh, New Zealand went 1-0 up over West Indies in the World Test Championship Series between the two sides. Last week, we recorded a quite good, I thought, 10-minute segment on New Zealand potentially going to the top of the IC Test run- rankings if they won that series 2-0. It turns out they don't. They miss out by one decimal point. So that didn't make the final cut. Some of the best, best stuff we've ever recorded though, that. Yeah, shame. we're about to go again. Right. But we've confirmed that they... So this is our second stab at a still, Pulitzer, is it? But they, but they still could go top this winter if they beat... If they win at least two of their three remaining tests against West Indies and Pakistan <laughs> and they don't lose the other one. And the India-Australia series is a draw. Um, if either India or Australia win that series, one of those two will go top. So it still could happen, but it's less likely than we thought last week. Anyway, um, it was an absolutely incredible innings from Kane Williamson. Scored a career best 251 on a very green surface. Um, I ended up watching a lot of this test match, ruined my uh, sleeping cycle a little bit. Um, it was one of the best testings I've ever seen. Um, I know, Phil, you, you didn't quite think that, but on the second day... Uh, there was a point at which Kane Williams scored 107 runs and no other New Zealand batsman has scored more than 14. Um, it, it really was quite hard work batting on, on day two. Firstly, quite a lot. steady. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't pour cold water over Williamson's greatness or you, brilliance. But, but the enjoyment that you could get from watching it. Yeah, you, you were speaking in, in a reverie about it. You have been all week. And you found this a kind of hypnotic experience to watch him through the night and so on. My only point was just on a personal level, I'd have found it quite irritating to watch. Um, his his greatness and brilliance is is obviously not in question, but I'm always on the windy side. I'm always on the side of the underdog. I'm always desperate for them to compete. They won the toss on a kind of fake green one. Field. Yeah, on a, <laughs> in a field, yeah. Uh, and for them to be too down on the uh, on the first day for all Williamson's greatness, I'd have really, really found that quite a hard watch because you, you can you just know the way that game's going to go. You know that they're going to they're losing by an innings. Um, you know that after about three or four hours of the game, as soon as they're 180 for two, you know that they're going to be 450, 500. Um, albeit Williamson's still got to go and get them. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but I'd have just personally, I'd have just found that quite a hard watch, which is why I didn't watch any of it. Sorry, to see well, I watched quite a lot of it, and it was a, it was a lovely watch. Um, <laughs> there you go, Jermaine Blackwood hundred as well. Yeah, I was going to say Jermaine Blackwood scored his first Test hundred against a team that wasn't England. Um, and so now Zari Joseph whacked eighty six. <laughs> yeah. I saw it at the end, which is lovely, <laughs> lovely to see. I thought he looked pretty tidy against England. Yeah, yeah. Sam, he's definitely got something about him. Yeah, but yeah, I, I agree. But he averaged seven before that innings, so. <laughs> Yeah, he looked really good. He looked really good. Um, New Zealand just have such a good bowling attack. Wagner, Bolton, Southey all averaged like under 24 over the last three years. And Carl Jameson looks like a good find as well. Um, Is he the tall all-rounder, the blonde one? Very tall one, yeah. yeah. He took good. five for against India. Last year, yeah. yeah. Um, this, this year, year, in fact. God, this year. Yeah, <laughs> in that final test, Williamson uh, won't be playing. He he will be attending the birth of his child. Uh, West Indies will be without Kimar Roach, whose father recently passed away, and Shane Dowrich, who's also returning to the Caribbean 
for personal reasons. So it looks likely that Joshua De Silva, who came on the field for a little bit during the test series in the summer in England, he looks like he might make his debut. Uh, not Nicholas Puran, who scored some runs for West Indies A in his first first-class game in six and a half years. And possibly Kamar Holder coming in for Kimar Roach. Uh, that would be his test debut as well. Joe, what's your moment of the week? So, um, regular listeners might remember when we did our Seasons in the Sun 11, what, six weeks ago? Yeah, two months that. ago, something like that. Um, I picked out uh, a guy called Julian Barton de Corsi Thompson, who was a, a Kent seamer from the late 90s, um, who had a claim to fame of being the only bowler to dismiss Brian Lara for a duck twice in the same first-class match. Uh, and then he had a fantastic 1999, took 64 wickets at not very many, uh, and it, like his career as a cricketer was going to kind of take off. Um, but he was forced to retire injured... <laughs> Forced to retire with injury immediately. But the good thing was he was already a doctor. So he was a cricketer by summer, doctor by winter. So he could go just full-time, a full-time doctor. And it's quite an interesting story. You don't hear too many cricketers who, who moonlight as doctors in, in the winter. Um, so I thought I'd try and track him down for a piece in the magazine, uh, which I did. I don't want it to sound like kind of cricket's version of searching for Sugar Man. I just <laughs> contacted Kent and they gave me his email address. But, you know... <laughs> It took perseverance. Um, and I spoke to him a couple of days ago, actually on, on V-Day, as Matt Hancock called it, uh, no less, which it felt a bit silly asking him about a six foot Northampton 20 years ago when he's on the kind of front lines battling a global pandemic. But he was he was quite happy to, 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 to chat. Uh, I think appreciated the break from what's obviously been a pretty gruelling uh, few months. Uh, I don't think he'd done an interview for a while. I don't think they've been banging down the door for interviews with him. But he was uh, a lovely, uh, very unassuming bloke who, who, unsurprisingly, recalled that day against Lara. Said he got him out with two reasonable deliveries, uh, <laughs> but pointed out that he took a bit of tap for the rest of the bowlers. Didn't find him quite so difficult to play. Uh, yeah, and, and I spoke to him about his what led to his breakthrough in 1999 because he'd been a, a junior doctor at Kent and Canterbury Hospital in the winters doing all kinds of hours, uh, having to work extremely hard and couldn't really train. But the winter before 99, uh, he had basically done a lo- some locum shifts. So had a bit more free time, got really, really fit. Kemp were really impressed and he played that whole season. And he says, it's very likely that's why he broke down because he hadn't had any of the conditioning that a lot of players would have had at that time. And he bowled loads of overs that summer. So it was kind of very sweet but but very short uh, and then it was all over but he's he sounds happy enough now as a GP in Canterbury um doing far more important work than than taking wickets for Kent cool that's very interesting so that's in the next magazine uh yes yeah it is yeah excellent um, and finally uh last week the four of us cheekily predicted uh our England 11s for the final Ashes test match next winter um listen if you remember on the last two England tours to Australia, they've had the tendency to go a bit rogue by the end of some quite <laughs> long, miserable tours, um, some infamous debuts there. So we're going to quickly run through the 11s that we've picked. And as, as Ben uh, pointed out yesterday, please do not take these seriously. Yeah, just, just on those dead rubber debuts across the last two Ash Series England who have given debuts in dead rubber matches to four players and none of them have played Test for England outside of those Ashes series. So it's, uh, <laughs> you get some real road picks. So you, your Mason Cranes, your Scott Borthwicks. Yeah. Boyd, yeah. Rankin. Boyd Rankins. And, you, yeah. and your Tom, Tom Curran. Tom Curran. Um, so my, my 11 is uh, Crawley, Sibley, Pope, Root, Ben Stokes, Joe Clark, Butler, Curran, Archer, and then the two Ollies, Robinson and Stone. Are you going for Ben? 
Uh, yeah, I just need, need to remember who I picked. Uh, <laughs> I know I had Ben Slater and Tom Lambie over the batting. I'll see if I can remember it. Ben Slater, Tom Lambie, Ollie Pope, Joe Root, Dan Lawrence. Sam Curran has got promotion to six because he's sort of looked plucky. And I think I wrote that he hits a, he hits a 44 in the chase. Uh, Johnny Bairstow, he gets a, a magnificent rage 100 in that in that chase, which <laughs> secures a consolation win. Uh, and my bowlers, I've got Mason Crane, Ollie Robinson, Ollie Stone, and Saqib Mahmood, I think, has Ashes Ed Rubber debut written all over him. Yeah. Nice. I like the term Rage 100. I like that. Johnny's Rage 100. Do you want mine? Yes, I, I can read it out if you don't want to. No, I've got it in front of me. Um, Zach, Zach Crawley to open the batting with Tom Lamonby. Uh, Ollie Pope ensconced at three. Joe Root at four. Captain. Ben Stokes. Joss Butler at five and six. Wicketkeeper James Bracey. Right? Who's good? He is good. Uh, he is good. Um, and then my my bowlers, obviously Stokes might turn his arm over. Uh, Joffre is obviously your main man. I think Mark Wood would have, you know, he'd have had an effect, but but he'd probably broken down earlier in the in what's going to be a gruelling grueling series. So Joffre take, takes new ball with Craig Overton and Ollie Robinson as your bowling dry options. Uh, and I had Adil Rashid in there, but I wrote this a couple of weeks ago and certain new Just shit looks, has come to light as they say silly now, doesn't in it? Lebowski so, like, no more silly than a lot of the rest of this so yes yeah, so Adam Rashid's my other one and you think England are going to shade the series don't you Phil no I don't but I do think they're going to compete I genuinely do I genuinely do um, yeah that's definitely for another pod uh, and Joe finally <laughs> um, Sibley Crawley Stokes who's batting three because he can't bowl because he's bowled himself into the ground so at the MCG. So you see him as a three d- down the line? Um, yeah, potentially. Yeah. I mean, I can't say I gave this a huge amount of careful thought, but I do for this team. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Root of four, Pope, Butler, Sam Curran, Wokes Archer, and Ollie Robinson and Matt Parkinson each making their test debuts. Uh, and that's my 11. Mine is quite a... Mine is if things have gone wrong. Although I think... Benz is even more of things have gone Benz wrong. Benz is a disaster. Sam Curran at six in the final Ashes test. I mean, it's not inconceivable because we've seen these kind of things happen before, but I think... There are reasons for all of this. So, from in mind, James Anderson gets it, another side strain, four overs in, which means Ben Stokes has to bowl about 40 overs in that first test innings, and then he can't bowl for the rest of the series. And then by Sydney, he can't bat either. I, it's, it, it all makes sense, I think. It's, uh, sure. I think we've spent enough time on it. Mm. Um Thanks, guys. This has been the Wisdom Creek Weekly Podcast. Oh, my moment of the week, by the way, is a photo of <laughs> is a photo of the Undertaker, the wrestler from when he's about thirty, and he looks really similar to Johnny Bairstow. So, right, uh, lovely. So where where can people find this? Photo? Photo? Uh, on, to the Sri Lanka on, on, on my on my Twitter feed, if you if, if you're interested. It's just a anyway. cheap way to get followers, isn't it? <laughs> but, uh, wow. This has been the Wisdom Creek Weekly Podcast. If you enjoy the show, tell your friends, and if you're feeling especially nice, I'm going to five star review on the podcast. Podcast Network.